right, it's good to have you here tonight, and let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and let's turn to the book of Psalms, and we'll begin by reading the whole chapter of Psalm chapter 8 here tonight to begin with, as we consider another message on the Bible and science. Again, uh, some of the reason for bringing these messages on the Bible and science, and in this case, again, creation is again to help us see that the scriptures support, again, true science, and that the Bible indeed is true. Again, we looked at Psalm 119, verse 160, where the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and it certainly is true, even from Genesis. And so let's begin here by reading Genesis chapter 8, and we'll read this whole chapter here tonight, Genesis chapter 8, verse number 1 through 9, and we'll zero in. Largely on verse number six here, as we consider some thoughts from the Bible on uh, science and creation. Psalm chapter eight and verse number one, it says, O Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and suckling, hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, and thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor, and hast made him, made us him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thus put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord our God, how, excex- how excellent is thy name in all the earth. This evening I like to look at this thought, man's special place in creation. Man's special place in creation, but let's consider this thought and we'll pray and we'll get into the message. Father, thank you again for your word here tonight. Again, I pray, Lord, that you just could help us to understand how we as people, as persons, as humanity have been placed in a special place in God's creation. Father, help us not to, again, fall trapped to the lie of evolution or the lie that humanity is much like an animal in its person or in place, but rather we are, again, a, a being that was created especially for a particular job. And again, an assignment to be one that we should take, not for granted, but again, one that we should take heartily as unto the Lord. Bless this time as we meet again here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to consider here some things tonight that, again, maybe some of you guys have heard about before. But again, I hope this will be a help to you in seeing man's special place in creation. Man was created to have dominion. And uh, certainly, again, people have troubles with that whole thought. But man was created to have dominion. The Bible says that in verse number six, it says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. Man was created to have a place of dominion over the creation. 
God created it all, but he needed stewards to steward over his creation, and therefore he created man to have that place of stewardship. But I also want to mention this. Secondly, and these are really the only two main points of the message here tonight, but in man's place of in creation, he was also created to be different. The Bible mentions here, here exactly where he was placed in the creation. In verse 5, it says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. And so man was created a little lower than the angels. Again, that tells about where he was placed in creation in a position where he is a little low in the angels, but also in a place where he was crowned with glory and honor. As we consider here tonight these two thoughts here, I want to consider first of all this thought that man was especially created to have dominion. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 1. This is not just something expressed here in the book of Psalms, but also uh, mentioned here a few times here back in the book of Genesis. And as we think about dominion, that doesn't mean, again, he was a place where he has power over the earth to destroy or to pillage the earth, but to be in a place and position where he would, again, be in a place of rulership and accountability and responsibility over the earth. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26 talks about the creation of man here on day 6 of creation. And it says something about man that's different than the animals, because the animals are mentioned there. The beasts are mentioned back there in verse number 25 being created. And then verse 26 it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all uh, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, man and female created he them. And so we see again God creating man and he making him different, making him special. He mentions there in verse number 26 that God created man in our likeness. In our image, after our likeness, and in our image. And again, that means that he was created a spiritual being. A very different spiritual being. I mean, the angel spiritual being, God is spiritual being, but man created as a spiritual being. Certainly in a different position than animals. Animals aren't spiritual, are they? Have you ever seen a toad pray? Have you ever seen, again, any animal bow down and worship? Have you ever seen them gather together to think about the Lord or talk about the Lord? No, no one's ever seen anything like that. But man was put in a place to be a steward and a ruler. People don't like the thought of rulership, but man was placed in a place of rulership over all creation. And I'm not going to go back to Psalms, we'll go back there later. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, again, this rulership, again, then this responsibility for Adam began in the garden. And so I want to read in verse number uh, 15 of the next chapter, which talks about Adam giving responsibility over the garden of Eden. And it says this in verse number 15, it says, And the Lord 
God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So again, he was a place to, called to be put in a place of responsibility to subdue the animals and again be over creation. But again, this responsibility began in the Garden of Eden where he was called to take care of the garden, to be a steward in the garden, to be a caretaker, and uh, to be a gardener of the garden. And so God, again, told man to fill the earth with people, to subdue it, to oversee it, to have dominion over all the creatures, both of the land and of the sea. And so man took this responsibility to begin with. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 9, but you know there was a worldwide flood, and after that flood, there was need for, again, this command to be in this position of responsibility and stewardship over the earth passed on to Noah. And so we see this in Genesis chapter 9, verse number 1 and verse number 2. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon all the beasts of the earth and upon every fowl of the earth and upon all that moveth on the earth and upon all the fishes of the seas. Into your hands are they delivered. It goes on and says, And every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. And so after the flood, again, you see here in the Bible that Noah was given the responsibility to still oversee the earth, to subdue it, it mentions there, and to steward over it. Again, this responsibility was given because man is equipped to steward over creation. He has the authority, the responsibility, and the wherewithal to steward over creation. There's not a single creature that could do this besides man. I would say maybe an angel could, but God didn't give this to the angels. Let's turn to Job chapter 39. I just say because, again, uh, the angels, certainly, again, a very intelligent type of being. Again, a very mysterious, in many ways, type of being. But yet, again, the Bible mentions them having incredible speed. Ability, I believe, it seems like, as, as you study the Bible, that whatever language of the person involved uh, was there, they were able to speak in that language and, and talk to the people, whoever they were. Again, the longevity of the angels, again, is a whole different story. But uh, again, we find, again, the Bible talk about angels, but they weren't placed in this position. If you look at Job chapter 39, I want to read a few verses out of there. Verse number 13 through verse number 17. God created man to have the mental, moral, and, and uh, uh, again, mastery to be able to manage, again, the whole of creation, all the earth and even beyond the earth. Job chapter 39, verse number 13. It says, gave us out goodly wings onto the peacocks. Or wings and feathers onto the ostrich. So God gave, you know, different animals, different things. Which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in the dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them and that the wild beast may break them. She hardeneth against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. 
because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted her understanding. You know, beasts don't really have wisdom, and they really don't have understanding. They have instincts, they have the ability to do what God has equipped them to do, but they can't reason right and then reason wrong, so to speak. They can't decide, again, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that in a sense of, uh, again, deciding and making complex decisions like man can. It says there in verse number 17, it says, Because God hath deprived her of wisdom and her of understanding. God didn't give understanding and wisdom to the birds and didn't give this understanding again to even chimpanzees or apes, which supposedly are supposed to be very complex. He didn't give that understanding to dolphins, which again are, again, intelligent beings or parrots or other kinds of animals that may seemingly be able to talk or whatever it might be. Man was equipped mentally, morally to be able to manage the earth. And some of us says, why is he able to do this? Because he's like God in some ways. Let's turn to Job chapter 32. He's like God in some ways. He's spiritual. He's intelligent. He's able to reason. He's able to make choices. He's able to learn. He's able to read. He's able to write. He's able to learn from the past. He's able to record history. Haven't seen any animals record history. Have you before? No, haven't seen that. Again, we're just different. Job 32, verse number 8. Job 32, verse number 8, the Bible says, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. You understand differently. There's a soul plane, and again, every animal is different. You can have a cocker spaniel, and your neighbor can have a cocker spaniel, but the personalities are different. You say, why is that? Because they have different souls. And they have different bodies. And they may think somewhat differently in some ways, but they're not spiritual. And so by the Spirit of God and through the Spirit, through a God consciousness, through a God-given connection, God has made man different. The Bible speaks of man being a spirit, soul, and body. If you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23. We have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. That body gives us connection through the five senses to this world. The soul is what makes us different. Our soul is different than anybody else's soul. And every creature has a soul. But we also have a spirit that allows us to have a connection with God. Let's turn to James chapter 3. It's interesting, again, when you think about Again, an animal, they, they do things out of instinct. I mean, they eat out of instinct. They, they do what they do out of instinct. They do out, things out of what God has just pre-programmed to do. It's kind of, I'm not trying to say they're like a robot because they're certainly not like a robot. But what they've been programmed to do, that's what they learn to do. They can be trained to do things. And they'll be able to do them. You can train a dog to do certain things. And you train a horse to do different things. You train them, but you can't really teach them. In some ways, I'm going to teach you the ABCs. Try that. I'm going to try to teach you multiple languages. Try that. Try to do that with an animal. See how far you go. 
genes chapter 3. They can mimic, they may be able to do different things, but they're just not the same as us. James 3 and verse number 9, it says, Therewith, speaking of the tongue, it says, Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude, having again a similarity, some similarities with God, of God. They're made off the similitude of God. It mentions we can bless God and we can curse men. Cursing. Somebody says, what does that even have to do with anything? Can you imagine an animal coming up with something like cursing or swearing? Can you imagine again an animal being equipped anywhere like a man? I mean, an animal doesn't Discern. They don't use judgment. They don't learn. They may communicate, but they can't communicate in multiple ways and, that, and, and, and through complex languages. Can you imagine a dog being able to really read Braille? Again, I'm not picking on dogs, but I'm just saying they're just not equipped to say. They're just not. We are created to manage because we are superior. We are not animals. They may classify us as animals, but we're not animals. And so I want to consider some things that we've been called to manage. And again, I'm just going to go through some Old Testament texts if you follow along with me. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Man has been called to manage creation. Again, the Old Testament tells us how God came along and, again, taught man how to manage in many different areas of life. And so you see the Old Testament law, and that's really, again, given to a large degree for, to help people to manage, again, not only societies, but also manage their lives. And as we consider, again, the management of lives, there are little passages here in the book of Deuteronomy, Exodus, and other places here in the Old Testament to speak of different things that God commanded man to do that deal with conservation or general management. Let's go ahead and read in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse number 19. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse number 19. Now, when one goes to war, again, one could pillage and destroy everything in his path. Again, might be what one would want to do if they wanted to decimate the enemy and decimate all of their place or wherever they live. But let's look here in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse number 19 and verse number 20. The Bible says, When thou shalt besiege a city a long time, and making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them. And thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of the field is man's life to employ them in the siege. Only to trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for meat, in other words, trees where you get food from, thou shalt destroy and cut them down, and thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that shall make it war with until it be subdued. So in a time of war, you know, here God says, you know, conserve the trees, the fruitful trees, the trees that can produce fruit that might help you. 
And then, yes, if you need to cut down trees again for bulwarks or for protections or to besiege the city or to fight against the city, the city certainly do this. But what do we see here? We see here tree conservation. It might seem a stretch here, but this is tree conservation. There are fruitful trees that could supply food for a people, even after, again, the, the, the war. It says there, verse number 19, And thou shalt not cut them down, for the trees of the field is man's life. And so certainly trees, again, produce fruit that give us life and, and food and supply. And so we see here, to begin with, as far as management, there should be conservation of trees and other natural resources. Again, this is taught here in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. I want to mention here, secondly, there, again, here God, again, gives some, again, commands or some demands when it comes to, secondly, waste management. Now, this might seem gross, this might seem weird, this might seem different, but again, you see here in the Bible, again, as people were traveling, people would have to go to the bathroom just like everybody else. hate that when kids, you're going down the road and you're just passing a place that has a place to go to the bathroom and they don't tell you they have to go and it gets to be a struggle getting to the next place. But anyways, I'm getting off track there. But Deuteronomy chapter 23, we see again, as one travels, again, we should again manage also with, the human waste left behind. And it mentions here in Deuteronomy 23, verse number 12 and verse number 13. It says, And thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go abroad. And thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapons, and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig thereof, and thou shalt turn back and cover that which cometh out of thee from thee. And so this might seem odd to have this in the Bible, but it's there cover over human waste. Again, uh, the Bible here, again, would, again, encourage us, I believe, again, to, to, again, consider, again, the waste that's left behind. You don't like, again, maybe when someone, again, you walk across a, long, a, a, a yard somewhere and you step on something you don't want to step on, and you say, well, I wish somebody would have cleaned up after themselves. Man was to practice, again, sanitation, Pollution. Again, you see again different verses that deal with that also in the book of Deuteronomy and other places here in the Old Testament. Again, you look here, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number 7, 6 and 7. You also see the conservation when it comes to food management. And again, it's just a little, little passage that's mentioned here. Again, you can pass over it and, and maybe see it and think, well, why is this here? Well, it deals with God teaching man about creation and conservation. It says, And if a bird's nest chance to be between thee and the way in any tree or on the ground, whether uh, they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young and upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. The dam is just the adult. Thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. So can man eat an egg? Certainly can. But it wouldn't make a lot of sense to kill the bird that produces the egg. And so God says here, preserve the life of the bird 
but the eggs are for your food and for you to eat. And so, again, you just see conservation, just general thoughts on conservation. But also we see, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 7, and verse, uh, sorry, Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6, we see some things on observation. You know, this creation was given to man for man to, to look after and, and watch over and all those kind of things. But also we find here in the Bible that man was supposed to, and is to seek to, I believe, learn from the creation and learn from the creatures that he has oversight over. In fact, again, a familiar passage here in Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6, it says, Go to the ant, thou slugger, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, no overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. Go to the ant. Go to the ant for what? To learn. Man can look at the creation and learn through diligence, through foresight. You see the ant prepare when there's food. Again, this teaches about conservation. Again, when it's time to time to again work and 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 work in the field, so to speak, or work where there's food to be gotten. Again, a man should be out there seeking to gather that food to get that food and learn from the ant to manage his life accordingly. We can learn from creation. Again, I believe, again, the plane was created because people looked at birds and they said, birds can fly. I want to be able to fly. And so the plane was created as a thing, I believe, that was learned from the creation. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 10. Again, man's place in creation is a manager. He is to conserve, again, trees and food. He's to, again, be in a place of waste management or pollution management, again, even when it comes to his own human waste, and we do a good job with that. Again, we see, again, food conservation, again, something we should be concerned about, and we should be seeking to learn from the animals that God has given us that we might learn some good things that maybe they do very well and have been given the ability to do. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 10, the Bible says, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And so we see again here in the Bible that man is in a position he should regard his own beast. If you happen to own an animal, you should take care of that animal. If you have an animal, you should again care for that animal in a way that would be thoughtful and even merciful. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. It is man that has the ability to come along and help a bird that maybe hurt their wing. We have zoos and we have rehabilitation places all over. Conservation places are placed, again, to help with animals. We as people will go as a group out there into the waters, you see this in different countries, rescuing whales that are beached. You don't see anybody else come along. Deers don't all gather together and say, hey, let's get the whale back in the water. No, they don't do that. They don't have the capacity to do that. Although I believe, again, you'll see sometimes in creation, again, uh, animals helping other animals. I've seen that before. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse number 4, but not at the, at the way that man can. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, it says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. And so here's an ox, and he needs food. 
You don't put a muzzle or something over his mouth so he cannot eat. If he's going through the field and he's working the fields, he can eat from the fields. Just makes sense, doesn't it? When I take the ox and say, you know what, you don't get any food, but you get to work. No, you feed the ox, he does the work. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23 Again, it's just wise not to muzzle the ox that treadeth the corn. Someone says, well, he'll eat some of it. Well, he'll eat some of it, but he'll help you bring in the crop too. Exodus chapter 23 here, verse number 4 and verse number 5. The Bible teaches conservation. The Bible teaches, again, we should, again, be good to the creature, the beast that we're allowed to be around. Exodus 23, again, even again, teaches us to be merciful uh, to other people's animals or beasts. Exodus chapter 23, verse number 4 and 5, it says, If thou meet thy enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. And so, again, if an animal is being used for work, we should be willing to help that animal. We should be willing to retrieve an animal that isn't even our friend's animal, but rather an enemy's animal. It says, if thy meet thy enemy's ox and ass, go and destroy. Help return that animal to its owner. If an animal is trapped or struck or whatever it might be, who's to help it? Man is. Taking care of the beast, we can do it. We are doing it to a large degree. We see here in Exodus 23, verse number 19, as we read on here. Exodus 23, verse number 19, kind of an unusual passage. I don't know exactly what it means or why it means what it means. It's actually this verse is repeated almost word for word in three passages, but it says this. Verse 19, the first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in its mother's milk. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in its mother's milk. And so this is a younger animal. It's not to be placed in the milk of the mother. It mentions this. I don't know why it mentions this. But I, it does mention this. For some reason, God says this is what we should do and what we should not do. Managing food, water, supplies, whatever it means, may, may be in this world, it's man's job to do this. We started out as vegetarians. You can go back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's look there. Genesis 1.29. We started out as vegetarians. But after the flood, as we read there in Genesis chapter 9, Noah was able to eat of, again, the, 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 the meat of the land, which would have come from animals. Genesis 1.29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you, uh, uh, given you herb uh, bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree, which is on the fruit of the tree yielding to be, it shall be meat for you. So we got herbs, so we got like, you know, whatever. You got carrots and all that good kind of stuff or whatever. And then you've got, that comes from seed, and you've got trees 
And you're going to eat that food, and it's going to be for meat, or it's going to be for, again, for your dinner, for your supper, for what you're going to eat. And so God has encouraged us to be a good supply manager. I mean, I think we're one of the best supply managers that you can think about. Imagine an average animal will take and eat and consume everything that you give them. They will overeat what you give them. You give the average animal more than he's supposed to eat, and he'll just eat and eat and eat until he's full and until he's sick. But you take man, and he's, he's to conserve the trees, and so you find today people cutting down trees today, and people seemingly all concerned about them cutting down trees today. But you know with every tree that's cut down by the lumberjacks, so to speak, of this world, by the lumber industry of this world, other trees are planted, many more trees planted than were cut down. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we see also in, again, in God's creation, God has made man a bit different than the rest of the creation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 21, it says, And unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord make him coats of skins and clothe them. It talks about, again, man here and being clothed. Clothed with clothes. Clothes to cover. To cover the nakedness of man. Man, again, is... To wear clothes. You don't see animals wearing clothes. Or maybe you see a dog or a cat every once in a while. Or maybe some kind of animal because someone wants to make them look cute or different or whatever it might be. Or maybe uh, they're cold and they want to make them warm. But it mentions here, clothed with clothes. Where does this clothes come from? We see there in verse number 29... I'm sorry, verse number 21. I think I got... Um, verse number 21, yeah, 321. It says, And Adam, uh, and it said, And God made coats of skins. What skin? Skin comes from an animal. It comes from a goat or, again, a cow. Leather. Again, cotton. Wool. These come from plants or animals, resources that are to be used by man and being used to clothe man and to cover man and to cover man's nakedness. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 28. Again, you see some people today and you wonder if they understand what it means to be clothed. They go out in the public and you're wondering where's the rest of their clothes. No, maybe you're not just teasing, but it just seems like they don't wear that much clothes. They're clothed to some degree, but not clothed that much. Again, clothes was made to cover us and to cover our nakedness. Exodus chapter 28 and verse number 42, it says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. It's just breeches. And these would be like short pants, if you would. And they cover from the loins to the thighs. Breeches, again, again, cover the hips, the thighs, the buttocks, all these parts of the body to cover nakedness. Man is responsible to manage the trees, the plant life, 
pollution, waste, food, animals, resources. Someone says, well, what about these natural resources that we have like oil or wind or forests or vegetation or lakes or streams? Who's to manage this stuff? Man is. Turn back to Psalm chapter 8. Man is a special creature created to be a manager over the rest of creation. But he's not just an average creature managing creation. He's a little bit different than the average creature managing creation. We see back here in Psalm chapter 8, verse number 1 through 3, he is a worshiping creature. Psalm 8, verse 1, it says, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the, the enemy in the adventure. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moons, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Man is different. He is one who worships the Lord. Verse number nine, it says, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He praises the Lord. He worships the Lord. Man is a special creation. Again, I want to consider just a few thoughts here on how man is different from the rest of creation. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, I'll continue these thoughts, Lord willing, next week. But how is man different from creation? There's a lot of differences, but we'll start with some of the physical differences. What, what's the difference between a man and a monkey? A man and a kangaroo? A man and an elephant? A man and a giraffe? A man and maybe one of your household pets? What, what's different in man? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 39, it says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of beast, another of fishes, and another of birds. A lot of people would say this makes reference to DNA or just general differences. But if you'll notice your skin and maybe compare your skin to another animal or creature, you'll see that it's vastly different. Again, no animal has skin like on the man. No fish really has skin like man. No beast has fish exactly, uh, again, flesh the same. No bird is like a man. People are distinctly different. Their flesh is different. Animals' skin is different. And, and there's no, again, no skin that's exactly the same. The leopard's skin and the frog skins are different, and the monkey's skin is certainly different than our skin. We see in the Bible some thoughts here about creation. Let's turn back to Psalm chapter 7. I'm just going to close here tonight here. We're going to pick up here with, again, looking at some differences between man and, again, the rest of the creation, especially that of, you know, the popular... Uh, chimpanzee, ape type thing, how we're different, how we're distinctly different than them. Psalm chapter 7, verse 17, it says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. What makes man different? He acknowledges his creator. 
He's able to laugh. He's able to bow. He's able to pray. He's able to talk to his creator, and the creator is able to talk back to him. He is a vastly different creation. Verse number five, it says, of chapter eight, it says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor, and made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the pass of the sea. It says there in verse 6, Thou hast given him dominion over all the works of the hands, over the works of thy hands. Everything that God's created, God has placed man over. He's a special creation. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.